Aggie Rugby Podcast, the Geneva edition. Should we call it that, William Davis? Yeah, why not? Absolutely. Stade de Geneva. Brilliant. It's uh, looking superb. But the game is finished. Connacht have won by 43 points to 15. But before we tell you the story of the game, I'm going to welcome along our other guest on this week's podcast, Lindley McKenzie. Evening, Rob. Great night, isn't it? Really good night for Connacht Rugby. In fact, a record-breaking night for wins away from home to a French side. See what I said there? The wording was perfect, because if I said wins in France, I'd be wrong. We're in Switzerland, although I can see France from here. Anyways, enough of that. Moyoda kick off and Connacht receive. First phase is secured. We'll take you through some details on the Moyoda team when we get a chance. They've made, though, 12 changes for the team that lost at home to four with the French Championship. Very much a change side. There's the ball. Quick line-out jumping in there. William, just to say, Darren Leader is taking the ball off. John Muldoon from that quick line-out. As I cleared the line, and Muldoon wanted to keep it moving. That's good hands there. Masterson and Connacht are moving it into the hands of Deegan. Lovely work for Delan to find him. He's tackled high, so an advantage coming Connacht's way just outside the 22. They can play through this advantage and see what comes from it. Masterson through the hands. Another opportunity. Farrell's through, and Connacht are in for a try. I think it's Healy over there on the opposite wing. What a start for Connacht. What a start for a lot of the forwards in terms of mixing in with backs there and showed some really good hands, really swift movement, clever play. Farrell made the final incision. Masterson with the good bit of running as well. Connacht have got the first try on the board. They were running an advantage for a high tackle. It didn't matter in the end. That was good, William. That was an excellent bit of work by Deegan. He just uh, he saw a gap and he just ran past the defensive line. And he was hit, hit very high, uh, but it doesn't seem to have affected him because he's going to take the conversion. And from then on, the uh, Oyenya defence sort of opened like the Red Sea. And uh, there was always going to be a try. There was nobody tracking back. It was rather a rather half-hearted attempt at uh, trying to stop that. McCartney to throw into a full conic line out five metres from the Oyenya line. They started well. They got the ball going now. It's a bit loose at the back as McCartney has it. He's going to lay it off. Connacht have come around the side and transferred. They're going to have to use it now because it's going nowhere. Blade, Healy infield. Here's Farrell. It's all drifting cross field. Andrew Deegan, but it still might work as they get it across the back line. One more pass by Dirt. Griffith to Keller. Keller's in the corner. He's touched it down. Try number two for Connacht. This is a wonderful start to this game. We've just ticked into the 12th minute of the first half. And while Oyana might have got the first points on the board with three points early on, ever since it's been all Connacht and it currently sits with a conversion to come 12 points to three. Referee's hand is out. Would it be wise just to take the three points next while they have this advantage? McCartney is going to try and pick a go around the fridges. He is driven back into the ground by Taib, the blindside flanker. Out it comes to Blade. Deegan no, no timed the pass beautifully. McKeown going towards the line. He's going to be stopped inches short. No, he reaches out and scores. Try number three for Connick. And it's at a big juncture in the game. Oh, yeah, we're really bringing the physicality. Connick have found the answer. They have three tries on the board. They go to 17 to three now. Excellent work there. They were patient. They actually had numbers there for an overlap, but McKeown, I think, just decided to go. He got his body position into a really low drive, and he, he crashed over. Some of the hits have been ferocious going in. Uh, uh, young Deegan there did take a boot to the head, but he's probably played a bit of Australian rules, so he probably just, just counts that as part of, part of a day's work. Cracky battle at scrum time as well, but Oida have a clean ball, and now they're clean through in the back line. They found an open gap, they popped it back inside, and Tian scores. Hansel Putt set it up, and in one sweeping move from a set piece, 
the crowd here are lifted from their shock, I will say. We've kind of forgot about the home crowd, the home team there, such was Connick's dominance in this game for the first 26 minutes. And that immediately makes a game of it, immediately gives them belief. 19 points played, eight. Far too easy, though. Uh, just complete systems failure there somewhere. They're having a meeting behind the post to have a chat about it. Um, he just ran through. Somebody either came out of the line too quickly or was in the wrong position. Very simple move. Um, so it's got them back in. 11 minutes to go to halftime. Connacht did the first three tries of the game. But it's now 19-10. And Oida are about to get over the line again, you'd imagine. It'll take some effort to stop them. Still they have an advantage. Still they attack the fringes. Three phases for that line out. They are stopped inches short. There's no TMO in this game, remember, so referee's going to have to be quite clear. Connick trying to dig in. A lot of frustration from the Iona coaching staff. I can hear them shouting up here. Another advantage off the fringes Connick are in. And penalised, or will be penalised shortly. Desperate defence. Absolutely. I wouldn't argue with that coach either. Here they go. They've yeah, gone in. Easy. In the corner. The man we were talking about earlier, Axel Muller with two tries and it's 19 points played 15 okay that's it for the first half here from Geneva we're going to head back to Ronan in studio and join, you can join us in the second half but here at half time Oyanya 15 Connacht 22 that was a very strange decision because he was absolutely adamant that it was an Oyanya penalty so unless he saw something um, untoward or somebody said something to him um, but he reversed it immediately yeah very hard to know Connacht have won the line out the lad ball popped down and now they're attacking with Blade Blade gives it infield Connacht have scored under the post Matt Healy has another try brilliant from Healy brilliant from Connacht bonus point on the board 30 points to 50 very simple Healy was loitering in behind the two centres and he just took a step up stepped inside and collected a lovely little pop pass from Caelan Blade and in under the post very simple uh, looked again like a set move off that line out I, I think Oynia were still uh, pondering the fact that they'd had the penalty overturned Deegan again all set to go Deegan lines it up then and this is very kickable uh, real opportunity for Connacht as he is looking to put 23 points between the sides who's <laughs> for the crowd because he's taken a while to take it I think the tempo <laughs> Connick now we're happy to keep this tempo slow Deegan has placed this it's inside the 22 it's 18 metres out from the try line it's to the left hand side of the post Deegan looking to take it to 38 has he struck it well yes he has and a big cheer for the Connick fans to counteract those boos Connick lead by 23 points what are we at the last 40 seconds they'd nearly be as well just to go through two or three more phases and kick the ball out they lead by 38 points to 15 here's Deegan they're going to try and keep the momentum going though Rollinson beautiful offload here goes Griffin one more pass and leaders in at the corner oh what a score to finish the game kick it out why would you kick it out five tries on the board for Connacht they've broken the 40 point barrier which is a fine achievement away from home Geneva is very much a happy hunting ground for the men in green. One for Deegan, but he's going to have a go at the post. He drills it towards the post. 
and he has just missed that in the end it doesn't matter not a jot he's kicked 18 points today he's picked up the man of the match award Connacht have scored five tries perhaps more importantly they've got five points for the match they've got the win by 43 points to 15 they'll top the group and in terms of uh, margin of victory they'll uh, top it up points difference ahead of Worcester who they play next week at the sports ground the objective of the Challenge Cup this year has to be to get out of the group first and foremost but probably more so to get that home quarter final you win away from home twice you'll definitely do that if you win your home games this is a great start really it's a good start um, in fact it's a great start because um Coming here had the potential to be difficult. We, we thought, obviously, the game would be played in Onya's home stadium, or Onya's home stadium, but that had, didn't happen. They've come here tonight, uh, and they've, they've done a good job. They've played well. Um, the opposition, yep, they'll, they'll take that into account, but you beat who's in front of you. Yes. You don't pick the opposition team, and Connor can be well pleased with that. And, look, winning, it doesn't matter what sport you play, winning is a great habit just win games it solves a lot of problems we wrap up here to say Kieran Keane said last week after two good performances away from home against good sides Scarlett and Ulster they picked up just a point to total that that was all well and good but they needed wins desperately from here on otherwise the momentum would be lost and that were, those were his words he put the pressure on his old team you got to believe they have a great chance of winning next week against Worcester but this is a brilliant start and it backs up what we've seen since the bad start last three games much much better and now they've got the, uh, the win to go with it yeah if you didn't win tonight the momentum that you'd gained from those two losses would have just run into a brick wall and he did put it up to his team and I think they've, they've, they've answered in the affirmative they've come out They've won by 43 points to 15. They were quite clinical with their chances. They've worked hard when they had to, made their tackles. It was a very good, exciting first half. The second half did disintegrate a little bit um, and became very messy and a bit bitty. Um, and that was just the fact that Connick had their bonus point. They had the win. So the last 20 minutes was a bit of maybe phony rugby. But the thing that Connick will take from it was that the substitutes came on they held their position they kept making their tackles the defensive effort was absolutely excellent and uh, Connacht have had good times in Europe in the past and I think this is an opportunity this year it's, it's something to be it's different it's out of the uh, Pro 14 it has a different feel different vibe to it these games are often a little bit looser uh, you go to different places you have different opportunities to play different teams so it's it's good and the opportunity now to build on it next Saturday before Munster arrive for another interprovincial and then the Cheetahs before we go to the November break and those are three more crucial games for Connacht in the context of the season to keep building they've drawn the line in the sand the start was poor now they've got to keep going forward and I think they can be well pleased with tonight they brought a very specific challenge though physical and conic speed and tempo we see the under Kieran Key the kind of a determination to take quick line outs and to keep keep the game moving it's definitely one of the things that you can identify as a, a philosophy that he's bringing to the game and it's probably what suited Connick so well at the start I think that's a sign of good analysis and good planning yeah just small things very poor kick chase from Oinya so you, you take your quick line out they corrected that but by the time they corrected it they were three tries down yeah the width they didn't get their defensive line sorted because they weren't getting any width Connacht had spotted that and that's what you have to do you've, you've got to seize your opportunities when you get them and from there you would feel they were never going to lose the game but when they were pressurised and they went back to 1915 that's when 
you have to stand up you have to make the right decisions and I'm really glad tonight to see them using penalties when they have them kick them take the points you just squeeze out you, you can score a try in a minute so there's lots of time in rugby matches but when you get a chance to take points and you need you know take them keep pushing the lead and every, you're punishing mistakes uh, in the simplest form and they did that tonight and it's worked out really well for them we're getting from our stats uh, Matt Allen back home that uh, it's a record score against a French opposition outside of Ireland so super stuff for Connacht great night here in Switzerland final score as we head back to studio Oyana 15 Connacht 43 All right, that's the story of the game and some of the post-game chat from myself and William on air. We didn't hear from Lindley McKenzie before we hear downstairs from the interviews. Interesting to note, Lindley, we were chatting about Kieran Keane and Andrew Deegan. Lots of chat from both of them. Uh, both in great form. Kieran Keane in particular, he was a grumpy figure about four weeks ago. He was getting the feel of things. Some things weren't working the way he wanted it to. After the Scarlet game, he felt he was seeing things in the right way. We heard more from him. After Ulster, same thing. Tonight, I think he's a coach who just feels right of... I've got stage one out of the way and I feel like I have some sort of control over what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, well, I think it's something that obviously they've been building towards and when we saw that, what everyone describes as a grumpy Karen Keane a a few weeks ago, that wasn't necessarily, um, that was sort of grumpy with himself, grumpy with the team, grumpy with the outcome. It wasn't really directed at anyone in particular. Now what we're saying is that Kieran Keane was slightly more relaxed, is finally seeing some of his work and what the lads' work coming to fruition that they've been promising on so many occasions but just quite haven't hit it. Now, let's face it, it wasn't against the best team in the world. The other thing is you've got to remember some of the, the questions that were asked of Kieran Keane that, that evening aren't necessarily questions <laughs> that, you know, they weren't proper questions, you know. So this we're, is on we're, Sky Sports. Yeah, we're all getting to know Kieran Keane. And, My and questions were proper questions. We're, we're, exactly. We're all, getting, we're all getting to know Kieran Keane and the fact that, yes, you know, he's, he, he's an obviously a fellow who loves rugby. He's an intelligent man and he likes to have a question directed at him and he will answer it. And, um, you know, some of maybe some of, you know, his, his his earlier press conferences a little bit was lost in translation, but I think now, you know, he's coming to terms with living in overseas and living in Ireland and the Irish, etc., etc. So I think we can put that one to bed and move on to the what we're looking at in this European competition is a great start. He wanted to build momentum. He's achieved that. There's a, a lot more, even talking to Andrew Deegan and... and Saying that they were, they knew they had it in their training, and they just couldn't. There was they just couldn't just probably produce or finish it off. And today they were able to do that. They, the good thing was that they were up against a not necessarily a great side, but it was a strong physical battle from some of those French those French forwards, and that's that's a good. Uh, stepping stone for what's possibly going to lie ahead in the rest of the competition. Um, so that was another positive. And at the end of the day, they have a bonus point win, and it's a great start, and it's away in France. OK, here we are, what myself and yourself, asking full-on questions to Gearing Keane, with some chatting around the edges as well. And then you'll hear also from Andrew Deacon, who spoke very well too. All right, Kieran. Uh, that's a record score against a French team uh, outside of Ireland. I was going to say away in France, but uh, we're here in Switzerland tonight. Uh, job done, bonus point win, top of the group. You've got to be delighted with that. Absolutely delighted. Um, long time coming. Um, and uh, probably 
probably a little bit nerve-wracking prior to the game. I, I think we addressed things at half-time, calmed everybody down. Everybody was in a little bit of a tiz and um, refocused and, and, and they went away again. So, yeah, I, I was really pleased for them. When you're talking about half-time, what you're talking about is a 19-3 start in total control and then that surge from Oyana, which really did seem like they were right back in the game all of a sudden. Yeah, they were, and largely to our defence. Um, we were a bit average uh, in, in that regard in a number of uh, instances, which, you know, we took the foot off the throat a little bit. So, um, yeah, they did come back, but I felt, personally, I felt that we could, we we had control of the game if we, um, if we basically took uh, care of the possession. You know, and, and used our position well. So we were a bit frenetic late in the second half because things got a, uh, in the first half and things got a little bit uh, loose. But um, we're able to regroup, identify it at half time, calm the boys down, and um, and away they went again. So that was good. They were physical, but Connick played at kind of tempo that took that off the, off the table almost in those early stages. Was that a tactic in particular? Are you proud of the way that you were able to get those tries and keep the pace really high, quick lineouts and so forth? Yeah, that was a tactic. Uh, it was an obvious tactic to use against a huge back and, and big backs as well. So um, big physical men. Um, we back our fitness and we back um, our, you know, our willingness to, to, to move the ball about. So... You know, it was an obvious tactic to use here, and it paid off pretty handsomely. You and I spoke about pragmatism last week. Those two penalties either side of half-time, they were important to just stemming the tide, weren't they? Well, I, I think our boys are a little bit tense sometimes, you know, and they get a little bit... Uh, uh, I haven't got the word in my head, but um, they get they just start worrying about things that they don't need to worry about. So... Um, it gave us a little bit of solidity and, um, and it basically gave us a buffer. And that buffer, you know, it's pretty, it's, you know, people don't get over-aroused, over-anxious, etc., etc., and they can just stay into what we've trained and what we've practised and, you know, not worry about stuff. So that was the idea of taking them. Before we finish on the game, I just want to ask you about next week as well. I, you must take a lot of pride when you see your team finish with a try like that because it does show the kind of focus right to the 80-minute mark and a lovely try from Leader. Yeah, look, it was, it was some really slashing tries there tonight, but um, have a look at the surface um, and, the, and the place where we played. I mean, I just can't speak highly enough of it. It was just whoever had the idea, you know, I'd like to go and shake their hand because... Um, it's a magnificent stadium um, and suits the way we want to play. Um, maybe we need one in Galway. Can, can we do something about that? <laughs> that might be a chat for another time. Uh, I tell you one thing, Worcester coming to Galway next week, having got five points as well. But you said to us last week, you know, you were desperate to back up two good performances or two improved performances with some wins. You got three home games in a row now, and Worcester will be about getting momentum going into the Pro 14 again. Uh, will be. Yeah, it will be. I mean, the challenge is for us to, is to back it up. Um, the boys, you know, to hear them uh, in the changing room afterwards, 
is a bit indicative. It was a noisy little session. There was nobody with their head down or anything. Everybody was pumped about what they'd achieved tonight. So, you know, that's the momentum that we've been searching for. Um, and we'd be foolish not to, uh, you know, to make use of it. Psychologically, I think the turning point started a couple of weeks back. Um, I think there was always a little bit of belief that was starting to uh, come in. Um, like we found different ways to lose games, and um, which was a little bit frustrating to all of them. But now they've they've sensed, uh, you know, how to win. And, uh, like like losing, winning can be a good habit. Hopefully we can, you know, instil that that uh, into them. But. That remains to be seen, to be honest. Sometimes you can try too hard, you know, and sometimes you're worrying about things that aren't worth worrying about. There are one or two percenters, and, and you know, that's been a bit of an issue, and you only have to get five or six players, you know, worrying about small things, uh, and you can lose focus. Um, but today was different. Today... When we took those penalties, we got the buffer. We were secure and safe in the knowledge after half-time that um, we're on the right path. Everybody agreed with that, so they settled into it. And and you saw what can happen, you know, when they're confident. How important is this one in terms of, one, the campaign, and two, the overall season for Connacht? Oh, I think it's... A, I think it's great for us, you know, like um, new competition, the Challenge Cup, um, you know, it gives us another aspiration. So, um, you know, we're disappointed about our narrow losses, obviously, um, but you can't you can't turn it back, and you know, you can't turn back time, or, or you can't change the results. They're gone. So, looking forward is what we're all about. Deegan, first of all, huge congratulations on a, on a fine effort from yourself. Uh, you must be really proud to get that second game under your belt, but also to be part of a winning side like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the team tonight really put their uh, best foot forward. We talked about at the start of the week, um, expressing ourselves, and the coaches gave us a licence to show what we can do, and I guess with the weather permitting tonight, we could throw the ball around and we scored some um, really nice tries off the cuff. Your was talking about this surface and loving this surface. Could you give us an idea from a player perspective why he's talking about that and what you told him? Yeah, it, it takes me back to Australian grounds. Nice hard, hard grounds, um, short grass, fast game. Ball's not too wet either and I guess like that's what the fans want to see, running rugby. You knew the type of team they had out if you could stretch them early on. It was interesting to see John Muldoon yeah. taking a quick line out. Yeah. Matt Healy took a quick line out. That was something that you had said straight away, wasn't it? Keep the tempo high. Yeah, it was a bit of a tactic, I guess. We knew they were a big, uh, big French side. And we thought maybe if we could wear them down, play up tempo, play quick pace, we could um, get some points from them. And I guess we did at the end of the day. You seemed to get really angry just before your third try. They were hitting harder than ever. You took a couple of big hits, but yet you still dug out that try. You set it up for McKeel. You must be really happy to have done that because it was at a key juncture of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, so that 12 got me quite nicely. Um, but I can't believe you got up so quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm used to that. Um, no, so I think we, we scored two or three tries back-to-back. Then unfortunately we had a bit of a defence uh, mishap and we let them back in the game and obviously they're a big momentum team and they were going quite um, well and I think they then came two or three scores against us so then we came to the half and we knew, just knew again we had to go back to our game plan, work around 
the corner and then just make our tackles one-on-one because defensively, if we weren't making our tackles, they were getting momentum and obviously running in points. But on the back of that, I guess the best thing was that in the back half of the second half, um, for, for them not to score a point, which was like no points in the second half is a big thing for us as well. So I guess we took on the uh, coaches' messages from half-time and really stuck it to them there. How about out-half perspective, when you have finishers in your back three, you must be happy. They've come up with, what, four tries in total, two from Healy, one from Keller, one from Leader. That makes your job a little bit easier, the stuff that you're creating from, from the back of the scrub and uh, out to the back. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, uh, that's one of our focus. We had at the start of the week. We wanted to take a bit of ambition and throw that pass, that last pass, and set our wings away because we, kn- we know our back three uh, back three is quite dangerous and they got pace to burn, so it's, what, it's glad to see them getting some points. Outside the dressing room, we're talking about two good performances from Connacht against the Scarlets against Ulster, but they had to win two games. Inside the dressing room, did you feel those were two good performances and did you feel the pressure that you had to get the results in these next in these two games in Europe? Yeah, obviously, like, I guess the best thing about this competition is a bit of a fresh start. Yeah, you go away from that um, Pro 14, I guess, and we knew coming over here, there's no weight on our shoulder really so it was just pretty much express yourself and see what we can do and I guess at the end of the day if we can produce more performances like that in patches of the game we can really put a front foot forward. We know like over the last couple of weeks we've been building quite well, we've had good training weeks but I guess it's the crowd and the media only sees the performance on Saturday and we know that's not our best but um, to get us, I guess uh, get a good week together and then put a performance out on the pitch like that it's that belief that comes back and hopefully we can carry that on through next week and then into the Pro 14 again. Kieran talked to, to us about that at hard time he had to tell you guys to kind of settle down and, mm. and keep calm because he thought you were getting a little bit sort of tense and uptight a bit. Um, did you feel that out on the pitch? Oh yeah, well I guess he, he was probably going, thinking about like we were getting ahead of ourselves a bit, trying to think of the next play before that first play. Um, so I guess again that was the message at half time and if we could control that game and play at our tempo and pace we really could grind away a win and again our defensive effort in the second half was unreal no points and then to score a couple of tries as well is a big bonus Did you feel a, a little bit concerned when you know you had such a good lead and then you conceded two tries in a very short space of time and brought the score within four points after having dominated most of that first half uh, Not concerned like any good team, all teams at this level are going to come back. You can't really just run away from the get-go. So we knew um, after two or three tries we can't get complacent. And unfortunately, we did get a bit complacent, especially in defence where they could build that momentum. But once we brought it back in and then especially after that um, half-time break, I think we really stuck it to them. And again, no points in the second half is a big effort from us. You said just then that there was no pressure on you when you came into this competition. I mean, I'm quite surprised that you would say that because I would have thought there'd actually be quite a bit of pressure on Connacht at the stage and also to qualify for this competition, the knockout stages. Oh, I guess I could be talking about myself, maybe. Oh. <laughs> keep, keep you guessing, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I've never played in this competition, so there's no pressure on me. Um, no, nah, but I guess it, we kind of looked at it like a fresh week and we just wanted to express ourselves. And Obviously, the weather permitted, we got a good crack at it. And, and it was, as I said earlier, we've got that belief back in us now.
All right, back here for the uh, almost final section of the podcast. We have a bit of audio coming your way uh, that William got at the EPCR launch as well. We're listening to some of the comic players going in for their post-game meal down in front of us, walking up the steps of the stand into underneath it. Uh, worth noting, you've just heard from Andrew Deacon, but before that, Kieran Keenan, he was joking beforehand, and we spotted this, that he got lost at halftime. We said we got lost. Sorry for delaying you there on the interview. We got lost. He said, you got lost. I was, I couldn't find my way back after halftime. I don't, no one was willing to talk to me. He said. <laughs> no, he, that's right. He couldn't understand anyone, and he was trying to speak and no one would speak English to him and he got completely lost and very frustrated trying trying to get back back up to the coaching seats that's his first experience and not he wasn't the only one apparently no, David here but, a stats uh, man had to say it is, and I think what he was delighted though was when he he hit the stadium he was blown away by it I think and you know he did, pitch in particular yeah he did say you know in press conference earlier this week that you know the competition was totally new to him that coming to Geneva was totally new to him and totally new to a lot of people Andrew um, Andrew Deegan as well yeah. and uh, you know so he loved the pitch just said you know why can't Connacht build one similar interesting stadium this size would be a bit big with it but <laughs> I definitely like the idea yeah it's a beautiful ground it's uh Servette Geneva's soccer ground. I think the Servette Geneva Rugby Club might use it as well. They do, yeah. Uh, 2008 European Soccer Championships. Hasn't been full too often, though. No, it certainly hasn't. Uh, I think, actually, believe it or not, before that was redeveloped, they, it was a 30-seat and they squashed 40,000 into it, apparently, for an international. Since then, they had a match here last night with Servette mm. and a Liechtenstein team, and there was about two and a half thousand yeah that Liechtenstein team do play in the second year in the same division as Swiss football but yeah very much it used to be a giant in Swiss football they're not anymore and here we are with the big stadium not in use but it was nice to get a bit of use from our perspective Daniel, although there wasn't really a big crowd here either no there wasn't but it was, it was a reasonable atmosphere the Connick fans made a lot of noise so did the French fans as well they seemed to enjoy themselves uh, these European occasions are always different and uh, Look, it's a job done. They'll move, they'll move on. They'll analyse it. They'll move on fairly quickly. Worcester coming up on Saturday. Uh, they won their first game of the season today at home to Breve with a bonus point. Not sure this competition is well on their uh, radar either. They've, they do not want to get relegated out of uh, the Premiership in England into the Championship. Ooh, well, let's do, we, need, we need to kind of put a tin hat on this game. But we've got some audio from the listeners first. We'll play that in. Yeah, when I was at the EPCR launch, I had a chat with Simon Halliday. Talked to him last year. He's the chairman of EPCR, ex-England uh, International. Interesting guy. Has a lot of views on rugby and where it's going. And we had a wide-ranging discussion. And uh, here's the full audio of it. Simon, back in Dublin again. Did you get to call where these Pro 14 uh, launches are held? Because you're quite fond of this city. As I said this morning, Dublin is one of my favourite cities, uh, on and off the field. I, don't, I think I've been quoted to say my best rugby experiences were here in Dublin. So if they're here forever, then I won't be complaining. Now, last season when we spoke, uh, it was all very simple. There was 12 teams in the Pro 12. The decision was made then that we were going to have the top seven qualified. And then the South African teams came in. Were, were, you, were European rugby surprised by that? We had heard the speculation like everybody had, and we also knew that the Pro 12 were talking about expanding their footprint and you know, were looking in different directions, um, including the USA, so that was no secret. Uh, and uh, so we weren't that surprised, and uh, you know, they've kept us in touch with the developments as they've come through, so we've had no issues with that at all. 
Are you excited by it? Do you think it's it's good for the game? From a, there's there's two perspectives. From a European perspective, uh, making the Pro 14 as competitive as possible, so that the the teams that come into the tournament, the European tournaments, are a force, which they increasingly are, if they haven't always been. Uh, that that can obviously only be but but for the better. In terms of the structure of the the Pro 14 or the structure of any of our, our leagues, um, that's not for us to impose on them. Obviously, we have our rules of participation for the, for the French, for the, the English leagues, and for the, uh, the pro, now the Pro 14, and, and they haven't changed. Will it present a challenge if the South African sides, particularly I'm thinking of the Cheetahs, who've made a pretty good start at home, if they were to get a qualifying place, which they can't take up, next season can you see a situation where if they keep getting into that they're going to have to be considered to be allowed into the european competitions well i think uh, firstly any decision of that nature and we've had one or two recent decisions made which required unanimous approval anything like that has to be unanimous so any change in the way that we do things and obviously we're a european tournament um, has to be unanimously decided upon and, and approved by the board. So um, the day that any, that any request came in, it would be considered, obviously. But I, I think at the moment it's fair to say that the Pro 14 themselves are saying they'd like a period where they want to see how the tournament works um, before they would consider any other either expansion or some change in something they've signed up to for eight years, which obviously is the European tournament. The television deal for Sky runs out this year, so for next year we're going to a single supplier in BT in Republic of Ireland and, and the UK. Does that is that something that European rugby wanted? You just wanted one, or were you happy to continue with two? I think if you um, remember the history that it was Sky on its own and then BT came in and shared the platform. If you were to ask them, I think it's been difficult for them to properly prioritise the tournaments when they're sharing the rights. And it's obviously very complicated in terms of working out which games to cover and all that sort of thing. I think they'd be the first to say that. So we took a decision to go with a single broadcaster and um, we feel that allows more focus, um, more prioritisation and inevitably... I think if you have one tournament, you should probably have one broadcaster. But obviously, we are hoping that we'll open up some free-to-air opportunities as well. And would, and would those be from terrestrial channels, or would you be looking maybe for a satellite broadcaster to just go free-to-air on a certain game? There are a number of options being, being talked about. Um, in fact, I was asked the other day, you know, are we, are we going to be talking to Amazon and Facebook and the new entrants into, you know, there are so many new people coming in and occupying the space of sports coverage. But I think for us, the discussions that take place now will mean that however they play out, we'll have something that no one thought was really ever going to happen, which is free to air in, in the UK and Ireland. But it'd be fair to say we're at a very early stage of discussion at the moment. And, you know, when we played those out, then obviously we will be announcing as soon as possible what, um, what the outcome is. And the streaming services that, like that, um, Netflix, whatever, whoever it might be, are they going to become a serious player 
maybe in the maybe in the longer term rather than the short term. But do you, do you see that happening? Are they are they serious about it? Well, it's difficult to, to tell right now. I mean, obviously they've made made a few marks in the market. Uh, all I know is that as a consumer of product myself, I increasingly find myself enjoying things in clips. Sometimes that's all you've got time for. So we're all getting online and seeing the highlights of certain matches and that sort of thing. It's prevalent and I think it's only going to grow. Uh, you know, take BT, you've got EE, which they own, which is 15 million subscribers. Now, you think about that and how you can access that, that potential fan group. You know, Altice SFR is another example who are a massive subscriber base in France and in other parts of the world. So I think this whole alternative um, screening, this alternative coverage metric is something that's going to take hold over the coming years. I've no doubt about, about that. One other thing I learned today uh, about player welfare, and we sp- you spoke about that last year, that you wanted to see the, the organisations... Uh, the tournament organisers starting to take maybe a more proactive role in implementing player welfare. There's going to be cameras in the HIA medical room and to make sure that the HIA has been done correctly. Listen, I, I was, yeah, I remember saying things quite publicly about um, player welfare and concussion uh, protocol, etc. And at the time, I think a few people were upset that I made those comments um, and then six months later was saying thank you because it erased the profile of it and, and changes have been made across the board. There is no doubt that the HIA protocol has been brought into question a few times, people coming off the field and coming back on the field. I'm sure with the best will in the world, the best intentions, but you know, you've got to be as dispassionate as possible with these situations. You can't mess with people's health and as an ex-player I definitely know that. So these sorts of things are only improvements. It takes the pressure off local medics and others who might feel other pressures it just means it takes it away from them and you welcome all of those things remember that's after the impact so i'm as interested in trying to change what goes on on the field whether it be the tackle law the hype people go in at tackles etc that is still a big issue for me and frankly for all those who still get hurt do exactly that and are you, because you're one step removed maybe from the teams or the national associations uh, as European rugby and Pro 14, if they were to do it, does, does that give you an opportunity to get a, an overview and maybe become a leader in that issue, whereas organisations that are a bit closer to it maybe don't want to be seen to rock the boat? It's a very interesting point. I think um, I've been asked that question in the context of the global season, which actually feeds into the same topic. So, uh, obviously, we have six pool matches, quarterfinals, semis, and final. When do we play those games? It depends on when you start the season. When do you start the season? It depends what rest period you give players. And the whole argument is very circular. So what I have said is that around our board table are all the unions and all the leagues of the whole of the Northern Hemisphere rugby. They're the people that own the contracts for all the players. And that is the one table that, you know, actually Billy Beaumont would probably like that table to talk to because... They're the ones that are going to determine the global season. So we're a dispassionate group in the sense we're a tournament organiser. Uh, we've got the best interests of everyone at heart. And if we can find a way to construct our season within an overall structure that gives the players the rest that they need. And, you know, look, the Irish players haven't really started their season yet, have they? That's good player management. You couldn't necessarily say that about the rest of Europe. So 
I think already people are doing the right things. Individual player management is really important. But our, our boardroom table might be the one that can deliver consensus more than anyone else's. We saw at the presentation this morning the finals will be in Bilbao uh, next May. The European Shield now bringing in sides from Georgia and Portugal. Is that another part of, of your um, skill set for, for EPCR is to try to bring those countries on to get them to a level where they might be able to look at realistically becoming Challenge Cup and then Champions Cup down the road? We can't do this on our own. I think what we're doing is acknowledging the growth of those uh, clubs within those countries. So take Germany, Heidelberger, you know, Germany beat Romania last year and Romania is a well-known rugby country played in the last World Cup. So um, if Heidelberger is the German, German um, champion club and they prove to be good enough, then for us, we're providing access for them into the Challenge Cup. And we haven't looked as far as the Champions Cup. You know, if, if one of these qualifiers won the Challenge Cup, the problem would come our way. But the Challenge Cup is so strong now, you can't imagine that's going to happen. There might be a few big wins, but not more than that. So I think we're providing the channel. I say we can't do it on our own. So the secondary Six Nations tournament that they talk about is constructed of those clubs that we're encouraging to play in our Continental Shield. There's nothing like enough communication between all those organising bodies to try and bring a coherent strategy. And that's kind of part of rugby's challenge to make sure that it doesn't matter what body you're with, World Rugby, Six Nations, Europe, um, you've got to talk to each other because you're dealing with a common asset, and that's the player in a number of countries that love their rugby. So we owe it to them to do that. And do you have any concerns that 15-a-side rugby is under pressure, maybe that 7-a-side is seen by world rugby as an easier organisational setup in these countries and other countries? My personal rugby view on this is that, and I didn't play as much 7s as I should have done, I would have been a bit fitter, but 7s um, is a great opener. You know, look at Spain, qualified over Samoa for the, um, for the Olympics. In other countries in the world, in China and, and all sorts of other countries where the sport's emerging, sevens is the easiest way to do things. That's the start point. But I personally believe that country naturally develops into wanting to go up from sevens to fifteens. If it has to be very focused, so be it, because fifteen aside creates a whole series of other challenges around who you play against, how many teams you've got, you know, how you match the qualities versus the size of players and all that sort of thing. So it's complicated. In sevens, perhaps that's not there. But I think inherently, if I'm a rugby player, sevens is a, is a much more holistic um, experience, day experience. Um, it's more fun. Uh, it's more about the people you meet as much as anything else. So's 15 aside, but it's a hell of a lot more serious. And I think everyone wants to get there. So my thought would be, Sevens is the start point, that's what lights the touch paper. Fifteen still has that incredible um, ability of forwards and backs to intermingle, and it's, it's a great spectacle. Um, sevens, you're only watching half the game probably before you're talking to the person next door. We all know that. We've just had a very successful Women's World Cup here in, in Ireland, uh, right across the island. Do you see a situation where women's club rugby could envisage having a pan-European competition at some stage at, at 15 aside? I've been, I've been quite involved in um, 
sort of seen the development of the, the, the ladies' game in, uh, in England um, and talked to a lot of players about how they see it. And I think there's, there's a start point here, which is women's rugby at the club level has to link very strongly with the clubs that are already there. So there's a few examples in England, you know, the Richmond ladies or the Wasps ladies or the Bath ladies. I so think you've, you've got to hook up, I think, to one of the clubs that's there that's obviously got background, history, structure, format, format, uh, perhaps resources, and build that way. I think that's where the club game is the way I think about it because, let's be realistic, you can't just construct a game from nothing. Um, so use what we have and allow the women's game to, to develop alongside that. And then I think you have the, the beginnings of a, a club system that's sustainable because it's sustainability that I think is the key thing. And as we saw in the World Cup, so much talent, but because there's no structures in those countries, they get beaten by 70 points. It's not because they're not good enough, potentially. It's because they've got nothing to hold on to. And that, for me, would be the men's club that's been sitting there for 50 to 100 years and can help them develop. Simon, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we hope to see you in Galway this season. It's going to happen. I said to Willie, I've got the fixture list. I don't know which round it's going to be, but I'm going there and I'll be staying over. So um, I'm looking forward to the whole experience. Okay, back here in the Stadjadeev. This is it, the final segment. That was good, though. I'll say to Andrew Deegan that... Uh, when you're back three, you get your four tries, you're not doing too bad. Two from Healy, one from Keen Keller, one from Darren Leader. Not a bad effort for the backs all around. Yeah, they took their chances. They were they were fairly clinical. There was some nice play. And, you know, you can't over... Look, they haven't, they've only won one game this season. Winning, winning covers a multitude of things. So just to get a win like this on the road is what they needed uh, after the last two weeks improvement they, they couldn't have come out of here with a with a loss it just they would have been in a very serious cul-de-sac then and having to really ask themselves questions as it is they can take something from this and b- build on it next week against Worcester and then get ready for two vital home Pro 14 games Munster and uh, the uh, Orange Free State Cheetahs and that will tail off the first bit of the season before the November internationals and they have an opportunity now to go on a bit of a run and build momentum and it's, it's what it's all about winning you know if you, it doesn't matter what sport it is winning helps it just helps it just makes everybody feel better and tonight will will contribute to that they they played some nice rugby and uh, roll on Worcester next Saturday what do you want to see from next Saturday Lily I think it's going to be um, a similar game in a way because obviously I think Worcester have um, a quite tough up front as well. Um, what, what I would hope to see is a huge um, crowd. Yeah. And crowd here today as well, 150 of them, not bad. Yep, not bad at all actually. Maybe given the fact do. that it's in one of the most expensive cities in, in, in Europe. And it's, you you know? can ask my brother over here, he's quietly in the corner about how expensive it is, but yeah. We'll bring you in in a second on that. Maybe that's because he's a well-paid United Nations worker. Oh, no, 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 no comment. No comment. <laughs> he's not allowed to discuss that. <laughs> no, look, I think what we're, what we're going to look at next week is probably, Kieran Keane is probably going to want more polish 
he, he, want, he talked about wanting to put some polish on the performance. He got some today. He's going to want more. He possibly will want them to be a little bit more clinical yeah. in certain areas. I think psychologically it was, a, it was a big bonus. And he did talk about that in his interview about that he was worried about them at half time and he had to tell them all to calm down because he thought they were getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Now, that getting ahead of themselves was the fact that he thought they were maybe one step ahead. Well, I think it was um, Andrew Deegan who said that they were probably getting ahead of themselves. Possibly that came out of the of the pressure of needing to get that win. Yeah, and and, and coach said it last yeah. week. We're desperate for it. Yeah, exactly. you don't get that from coaches very often. Love no. it. It's very refreshingly honest. Absolutely, but, but it was there. and yeah. they took it on. Yeah, and I think I think you know they've put a lot of they, look. They've all put a lot of work in for this this first part of the season, and you know to come here to get the win. At least they now can say to themselves, well, actually we are moving in the right direction. We always knew we did, but we couldn't show it to the fans. <laughs> to, tonight they did show it to the fans there's still a lot of work to go no there's no doubt about that but it's nice it's nice that there has been some reward for all the work that has gone in William do you want to top and tail it there into those side to this no I just I I, I think they can uh, they can move forward with confidence and I think they can hopefully uh, I think they, I think they should beat Worcester uh, I don't think they're a very good side I don't think they're having a very good season I, we haven't seen any of that game today but this is a group where I think if you can stamp your authority early in this group uh, you can go a long way to, to getting what you need out of it and um, Connacht will, will want to be played 2-1-2 at uh, about 5 o'clock next Saturday My brother David Murphy might be the only Connacht fan in Geneva may not may not be but probably are uh, first home game will probably be the last time they'll ever play here as well I think Yeah it's a shame actually and we were just I was just talking to Lenny beforehand and saying you know there were maybe 2,000 here but I mean they could have they should have advertised this game much better I mean there's a lot of people interested in rugby in Geneva it's a very international community there's a I know a lot of rugby interested people in the UN and there's nothing there was nothing about the game. There's no advertising beforehand, there's nothing going around. So it's a real shame, it's a missed opportunity because that was a cracking game. It was, a, it was good entertainment. Yeah. It's good two hours. So yeah, it's I'm, I'm I'm disappointed in that sense that more people didn't get in to see it, but I'm I'm really happy it was here. It was good. Yeah, that that is disappointing. When you've been in discussion with them quite a lot about this game, this was a last minute job. Yeah, it it is all a bit odd. Um and it wasn't done to boost crowds because their ground was being refurbished so they just had to find another ground yeah I think if you look at their fixture list they played a home game last Saturday and they're not at home again now for seven weeks and that's the opportunity they just blocked off seven weeks they're playing five games in that period but they're all away and that was the well if you this was they, this was a home away no wonder their coaches were grumpy beside Lindley these are not good times um, <laughs> but I think they need to do work on, on their stadium and uh, they just decided this was the time to do it so uh, we missed the opportunity to go to what is a, quite an atmospheric stadium um, in, 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 in up in north well, I don't know what bit of France it is Alpine, Alpine, Alpine France what, Jura, Jura, Jura in the Jura yeah it was in the Jura Jura Mountains maybe, it's maybe a missed opportunity in terms of developing a new sport here although I did hear we're going to go off and investigate it because even you were a bit surprised by this they're trying to bring top 14 rugby to Geneva in the next decade they're trying yeah. to develop the that makes sense. I actually I went to a preseason friendly they did here about two years ago, two two and a half, three years ago probably now, um, where there was Stade Francais, Northampton. There was like a few, a couple of French teams, a couple of English teams. So they were trying to start to sell rugby here. That's why I'm so surprised they didn't yeah. actually do something bigger for this game and make more noise about it because it, it could have got a much bigger crowd and people would have said seen a great game. Okay, Bolligans, what's it like? 
Great, actually. Mulligan's is a good pub. It's a small, small little place. Uh, yeah, good. If that's the go-to place, let's go for it. The Geneva episode is officially over. <laughs> Connect with. Thanks, guys. Well. Good night. Thank you.